Welcome to La Taverna Friuli Wines, the definitive podcast on wines from Friuli Venezia Giulia. I'm your host, Wayne Young. Hey, Friuli Wine fans, it's Wayne Young, La Taverna Friuli Wines. How's everybody doing these days? Revving up for Christmas, just past Thanksgiving. Do you have any Italian wine, any Friulian wine with your Thanksgiving meal? A lot of people tend to gravitate towards Pinot Noir, maybe a little bit of Beaujolais, some Oki Chardonnay. Anything from Italy on the table with your Thanksgiving bird? Anyway, got a second in a series of talks with commercial people from abroad outside of Friuli. The first was a couple of weeks ago with Bobby Stuckey from Colorado. Great fan of Friuli and wine. And today I have Angelo Turi. I met Angelo at Ronchi di Chala earlier this year. Wanted to talk to him about his role of promoting Friuli and wine in London and bringing influential Londoners to Friuli Venezia Giulia to show them the the greatness of what we have here. So this is a telephone interview that I had with Angelo uh, early in the morning. You'll you'll hear some some minor audio problems when it comes to uh, our WhatsApp connection. But overall, I think uh, it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, Some really interesting points brought up by Angelo. Uh, especially uh, talking about simplifying and educating, but I'm going to leave that up to uh, the rest of the podcast. There's also some big news. Um, I used to always point everyone towards my Instagram page at Wayne Grape, but my good friend Ben Little has advised me wisely to create a specific page for La Taverna. So on Instagram, now the podcast has its own dedicated page. So if you follow me, Wayne Grape, you want to pop on over to La underscore Taverna underscore podcast on Instagram. And this way you'll get a lot of notifications on there. Obviously we're transitioning over. Wayne Grape, of course, will still exist. So if you follow me there, uh, but if you if you do follow me on Wayne Grape, you do see that there's a, a number of different things going on there from uh, from cat pictures to car pictures to wine tastings and, and the podcast. So um, I will still be promoting on my page, but all of the information that you're looking for about the podcast will be available at la underscore taverna underscore podcast on Instagram. Without any further ado, let's go right into this great conversation with Angelo Turi. Hello. Good morning, Angelo. Good morning. Good how you, morning. How you doing? We both have our sexy morning voice on. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> okay. So let's let's sort of start off with a little bit of background on you. You are from Ostuni. Oh yes. Uh, you have a, a good memory. 
I just looked at your uh, Facebook profile. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yes, I come from Mossoni, which is one of the most visited places in Puglia. So one of the trendiest places in a trendy region. And I've seen my region becoming popular during the course of the past 20 years. And uh, as soon as I visited Friuli for the first time, I think it was 2018, not too long ago in the end. Um, and the British man had to bring me there for the first time. Okay. That's, uh, so you were brought so to Friuli much. by a British man? Yes. Oh, wow. And that's how much Ita Italians know about <laughs> certain places in Italy, not just Friuli. But uh, of course, the, the position doesn't help, let's say, because you have to want to go to Friuli uh, because it's not in the middle of the big, let's say, ways of communication in Italy between North and South, for instance. Right, right, right. It's not sort of, if, if Friuli was like where Bologna was, I think it would be a lot Indeed. more popular. Yeah, people running between Venice and Florence would stop in Friuli, but it's not. You have to go beyond. Yes. And uh, among my friends in Puglia, there has been, there, there is no one who has been uh, to Friuli once. Wow. And I'm trying to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what brought, so before we get into how you got to Friuli, how did you get to, to London? Oh, uh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yes, um, I, I've been my, my career between wine and travel. And the, the last job I've had in Italy was a wine tourist manager for a winery in Brindisi, down in Puglia. Okay. Uh, I spent two years uh, conducting visits to the winery there and being a sort of brand ambassador for them in trade, trade shows and things like that. And after uh, two years, I wanted a change of role. We parted ways and I thought, I was going to move to Milan because I, I've been living in so many cities in Italy, but never in Milan, oddly. Okay. And um, I thought this is the time for Milan. But then I came across uh, a job vacancy on LinkedIn and, uh, but, and it was in London, but uh, I applied anyway, even if I, I didn't have any intention of moving to London, but, uh, well, um, I'm more adventurous, let's say, when it comes to, to moving, uh, right. I'm living 10 different cities, so I'm rarely scared of moving. Good. Uh, especially Which I think, if it's is, I think is rare for Italians to be, to be honest with you. Uh, yes and no, let's say yes. We, we don't really like change. Let's put okay. it like that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so yes. when, when was that? When did, when did you, uh, when did you pick up that, that it linked in ad and, it and was London was for you? February, 2017. Okay. So a, a, just, a while back, we're not talking about, you know, last year, we're talking, you've oh, been there for quite a while. Six years now. Mm -hmm. I've been, uh, not, I'm a British citizen from a week. Congratulations. Was that a difficult process? Uh, not too much. Uh, not too much, to be honest. Okay. So I have so your role in the world of, of wine. So you said you worked in wine tourism. 
in Puglia, in Brindisi. Yes. And then, so then, you, uh, you made this progression into, into London. So that was sort of this, this next step in your, so are you, is it your own sort of consulting company in London that you run right now? Or do you have like a work contract? Do you work for someone else? No, there are, uh, we're still missing a couple of steps. Okay. Uh, okay. I'll, so, I'll be quick. I'll be quick. No, two steps back. That's fine. That's fine. We have time. Uh, I moved to London uh, to join uh, um, a wine um, tour operator. Let's put it like that. Okay. The, the company specializes on uh, food and wine tours in Italy, but not only that, let's say Southern Europe. And basically they were looking exactly for me because I had exactly the, the same experience, but on the other side of the fence, uh, I was welcoming groups to the winery in Puglia and now I was gonna organize wine tour and bring people along because I was working also as a tour host with them. Okay. It was a, a fantastic job, <laughs> let me tell you. And during, during those three years. Uh, I, that's how I discovered Friuli. The, um, the company, uh, is owned by, uh, this British man, William Goodacre, who, whose first experience abroad, age 17 was in Corno di Rosazzo. No, where I am sitting <laughs> yeah. in this very moment. That's uh, the world is a small place. Yes. He went, uh, did an internship for Colavini. Okay. And so he's still very much uh, connected and uh, fond of them. And he brought me there to discover the, um, the region uh, before conducting uh, a tour of British travelers. And, you know, uh, I discovered uh, unknown, beautiful places. I, I already knew some of the wines, some. This is going to be a theme on which we may come back later on because there's a lot of variety. Yeah. Uh, which in a very Italian way, let's, let's put it like that. It's at the same time, a strength and a weakness. Okay. Uh, because it doesn't help with trade. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll definitely get back to that. <laughs> so I, I discovered even more excellent wines. The, the, the thing I always say about Friuli when it, when it comes to travel there or uh, about the wines is that the, the average quality is what surprises me the most. You really have to engage to make a bad wine there, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially if it's a white, but, uh, even with reds, I can find more and more examples of excellent wines. Okay. So at the moment, uh, that job finished during the pandemic, unfortunately. And at the moment I got two roles, uh, both part-time. Um, I work for uh, Promoturismo FVG, the okay. tourist board. Fantastic. As, uh, as their account manager in London. And on top of that, uh, I worked in a, a premium wine shop in Mayfair, uh, whose name is uh, Hedonism Wines. Oh, I've and been to Hedonism. That place oh, is amazing. It is. It is indeed. Oh my God. The, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the wine, the California winery. There's one room completely dedicated to that with like. Sine qua non. Yeah, sine qua non, exato. With all the hands holding the bottles and stuff. It's, 
Fantastic. Indeed. And the, the giant vertical of Ikem downstairs. Oh, yeah. I know hedonism oh, yes, well. Yes. yes it's, it's a privilege. Uh, let me tell you, it's a privilege to Fantastic work for place. Them Fantastic. We are place. surrounded by bottles that you can usually find just on the books. <laughs> exactly. And, and we have them all. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing shop. If anybody's listening in London and have not been to hedonism, you must go. It really is something special. And I'm proud of trying to bring a bit of Friuli there to, to promote Friuli among my colleagues, among the customers, of course. But I think that it is very important to work on the profession, um, on the people uh, in wine, uh, with the, uh, the wine professional. Okay. Especially when they are in touch with customers. Because, and I can see that on, while I'm on the floor in the shop, uh, we are in a position uh, in which we can uh, address people's likes or trends, let's say, at least try to address. Of what do you, mean, what do you mean by address? By suggesting a particular bottle. Okay. Uh, of course, the, the choice comes always down to the customer. Whether that happens, whether you're in a restaurant and you are a sommelier or in a shop, but there are so many people that come into the shop without having a clue of what they want. Usually it's people uh, that don't really drink too much wine or usually they don't know much about wine. Okay. It, it, it can be intimidating. That's. The only thing I don't like about the wine industry, then we are perceived as a bit intimidating by people who are not in the industry. It's true. And in, in fact, I, I work really, really hard, at least on, on, in my little way, to try and make wine as unintimidating as possible. Yes. Yeah. It, because I think as wine professionals, it is our duty to uh, make people uh, closer to wine, not to bounce them. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. To not intimidate them more by sort of giving them exactly. all of this jargon and, uh, and, and complications and sort of making And then not be shot to you. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. So uh, that, that's really, I mean, fantastic position that you have there because you are, you are able to sort of guide people. I guess that's what you meant by address is sort of guide them and say, yes. have you ever tried a Friulano? Have you ever tried, you know, a, a Ribola Jala or something like that? You have that ability to sort of move people in that direction, obviously, if that's what they're looking for. Exactly. Or if they are undecided, they just want a white wine with that price range, you can offer them anything. Sure. I can guide them immediately <laughs> to the Italian section where the Friuli wines are. Um, but I, I think that that is even more valid in restaurants, especially um, fine dining ones, because I can see, especially Mayfair, there, there is probably the highest concentration of Michelin star restaurants, uh, for sure in London, but probably in the UK. Okay. And uh, those are places where the wine list carries something like four, 400, 500, sometimes more references. 
So do you think the cast, any customer is ever going to read it all? Never. 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 And those places thrive on regulars. Okay. Uh, despite, despite the crisis, there, there are people who can afford going out to the same Michelin star restaurant four or five times a week. Wow. Good for and them. Good for them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And of course they build a relationship with the sommelier and they don't even care uh, having a look at the, at the wine list. The, the question would be, Angelo, what shall I drink tonight? Right, 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 right. So, so if Angelo is fond of Friuli, that's <laughs> where we, we come into play, let's say. The, the game is on. Yeah, I, I know that in what my experience as, as a sommelier and doing service, that that was always the most fun that I could possibly have. When somebody would just hand me back the wine list and say, here's what we're eating tonight, you decide. You know, and then, then you can sort of say, oh man, I want to, you know, you want to blow their minds. You want to yeah. bring them something different. Yes. You don't want to bring them like the usual bottle of, you know, big label stuff or, you know, go for the, go, go for the high ticket wines just to sort of make your tip. And a lot of people, of course, not everyone, but especially the wine lovers, they're always looking for the next big thing off the beaten path, the, the next niche. Right. We're all fed up with drinking uh, Pinot Noir from Burgundy. It's fantastic. But fed up, maybe I'm exaggerating, but you know, we all know uh, Burgundy and the, the usual uh, suspects. Exactly. But so let me try something new. And so would you consider next... Friulian wine sort of like niche wines? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Niche as long as they are not, they don't come from international grape varieties. Uh -huh. That's the point. Because a Chardonnay from Friuli, and I found amazing examples, don't uh, get me wrong. Um, it, it's always a Chardonnay, it's not niche. Right. But a Friulano is absolutely. Uh, a pignolo is a, <laughs> too much of a niche, but that's another problem. Yeah. So, so, so yes. it's, it's basically it's, it all comes down to sort of hand selling these wines. Yes. Okay. Yes. So people need to be guided. Need, needed to, need to be guided because they don't have time to explore uh, by themselves unless they are attending uh, wine courses, but that's another niche again, how many people among all the uh, wine consumers are so much into wine to attend a wine course, not to become a professional, but just to understand more about what they're drinking. Mm -hmm. I, I see more and more people uh, doing that, but I'm expecting to, to me, wine lovers, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I don't think I'm a good uh, example, uh, let's say. Um, but, you know, a lot of people just want to enjoy a bottle of wine without too many, too much fuss. Right. So they, it's better if they, they're guarded. Also, because usually when I come across these kind of people uh, uh, in my daily life or on the job, they will always approach me saying, I don't know anything about wine. 
And I always say, don't worry, it's fine. Exactly. You don't have to. Yeah, exactly. We get, you know, I get that a lot here too. I mean, you get people who, you know, if you try and make them taste, even when I worked in the tasting room and you would, you would bring out a bottle that cost like 35 euros or 50 euros, uh -huh. they would sort of almost be intimidated just by the price. They were like, hey, you know, I'm really, I don't know enough about wine to enjoy this. And I'd be like, are you kidding? It's like, you know, you know what you like. You would never say that about a pizza. If somebody offered you like a hundred dollar pizza, you wouldn't say, I don't know enough about pizza to eat this pizza. <laughs> you know? So no, you, you touched a, a very good point actually. So, yeah. So I would just like to try it. Do you like it or you don't like it? And I'm not telling you, you have to buy it if, if that's out of your price range, but give me an idea. If you don't like it, it doesn't matter how much it costs. It's not your style. So yeah, that's going back to that sort of intimidation factor, right? Yes. There is now that you make me a thing, there is this probably common uh, conception that if you don't know about wine, you, you, you won't get a hundred percent out of it. So it's wasted money if you're spending, I don't know, a hundred euros on a bottle, regardless of your uh, possibilities because you will probably get, I don't know, 50% out of the pleasure. You got a mouth like we all do. Exactly. <laughs> we all have taste buds and a nose. Yes. That, that's the point. Yeah. So coming back to what we were saying, definitely Friuli is a niche. We must be aware of that. And in, in my opinion, being aware of your place in the world uh, is the first step. Okay. Understanding who you are, how people perceive yourself in terms of market, of course. Um, because starting from there, you, you can understand where you want to go. Now can you go there? Right. What about compared to like some other Italian white wines? Let's stick with white wine for the moment, but we can, we can expand into reds as well. But since Friuli is so known for its white wines. And there was a time when yeah. Friuli was sort of like at the forefront. It was the top rated region yes, for white wines, the eighties, maybe even the nineties, right? Now, no, where, where does it sort of rank and, and you know, how, how did these other wines sort of come to the forefront as surpass Friuli in terms of sort of image and, and, uh, and market? Well, um, what are the big white honest, wines in, in, in London right now from Italy? Oh, the big, I can tell you the, the only Italian wine who is into our top 20 best sellers in the shop is Cervalo della Sala. Wow. Okay. But do you know it? Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, of course. <laughs> You're a song. <laughs> uh, I was anyway. Yeah. And it is getting more and more expensive, probably uh, too much, let's say, but all the, uh, the wines are getting more expensive due to the usual suspects again. Okay. Uh, but, and then, so that wine is uh, Chardonnay and Grechetto made in Umbria. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say that Umbria is more popular than Friuli. <laughs> not at all. I would hope not. No, no, no. But in that case, there is the Antinori family and their uh, powerful uh, marketing resources. Right. Um, 
when it comes to uh, Italian regions, I see there's a lot of popularity, not, not a lot, but uh, they're more popular than Friuli, the wines from Alto Adige, South Tyrol. Okay. Uh, and that's the most frustrating thing. Sometimes people uh, mistake Friuli for uh, Alto Adige. Uh-huh. I don't know how, is, is, is that even possible, but it happens. And that's something we must absolutely rectify. <laughs> right, right, right. I th- yeah, I, I mean, I've heard people say before, oh, Friuli, you guys speak German up there, right? It's like, nope, that's Alto Adige. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> maybe it's just because the, the proximity to, to Austria, maybe. Can be, yes. Or the Alps. Or uh, the Alps, Of yeah. course, these two regions share something, but very little in the end, just a bit of geography, let's say. Exactly. So what do you think that uh, Alto Adige is doing right that Friuli isn't doing? Huh. That's a very good question. And uh, I, I, I can see what, I can tell you what I like about their promotion. They all move together, let's say. Uh-huh. They go, they don't go with single consortios. They, they just promote the brand South Tyrol. Okay. That's same brand, important. They, yes. The, the same brand is on the capsule of every bottle that comes on the market. There is some sort of brand, uh, uh, um, building a brand reputation and awareness. For the entire region. For the entire region, the same brand is used not only on the wines, but also on every travel uh, publication, let's say. It's the brand of the region. In the end, it's not the, a region, but let's say the brand of an area. Okay. Have there been any sort of specific maneuvers that they've done, maybe just in London or that you know of marketing things or marketing pushes or something that have been particularly uh, exemplary for you that have been effective? Mm, yes, but n- not anything that is different one from what all the others do. Okay. Uh, promo- promotion on uh, sellers uh, in terms of uh, tastings, master classes. That's something we, we do in London. I do as well uh, for the Friuli. Um, one of the things on which personally I try to focus our budgets the most is to bring some years to Friuli because, you know, following up on what I was saying before, um, I think that uh, if a sommelier from an important restaurant in London comes to Friuli, I'm sure about the, the outcome of his visit. I'm sure that within three days, he's going to be in love with the, with the region, with the wines. So that's what I try to do as much as possible. Picking, selecting sommeliers from the best restaurants in London and organize wine, a wine tour for them, a quick one. Usually it's Monday to Wednesday. Within three days, again, I try to let them visit uh, as many wineries as possible without cramming too much, of course. <laughs> those those <laughs> tours can be a little bit enjoyable. Yeah. Now, I don't want to turn it into a literary march. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, 
I try to, of course, I, I change the wine it is a, in every trip because, of course, I have to promote as much diversity as possible. And um, I see a lot of good feedback. So you, you and, literally see a, a difference right away when you yes. bring these people over. You, autom you immediately see sort of a, a, an impact on uh, wine impact. Being, being moved over there. Oh yes, my uh, one of the uh, the biggest satisfactions I've had is uh, after the first trip I organized uh, this kind of uh, after the f the first of these kind of trips, um, more or less one month later, one of the psalms uh, texted me. He was redoing his wine list in a, in a Michelin star restaurant, and he put uh, a ribolla and a schioppettino by the glass. Fantastic. Ribola and Schiopettino by the glass. Yes, both a wine in the uh, a white and the red. And you know, when it's by the glass, you are gonna sell volumes. Yes, yes, yes. That's yeah. That's where you sort of make your your money, right? That's where you sort of make your volume. It's great exactly. to have a placement on a great wine list, but if it's just on that, you know, four hundred label wine list, it's difficult to sort of guide someone into that one in four hundred choice. But once you only have, let's say, a dozen wine by the glass, if you're if you're lucky, yes, yes, and you're going to obviously sell a lot of that. So yeah, that's a for me that's a huge impact, and it, I would really love to hear. I mean, I don't know if you heard from them, like sort of the feedback from the people who were they were selling those glasses to. What was what was sort of the public's reaction to those that Ribola and that Scupatino? Uh, no, I haven't heard that. But uh, I will. I will. Let, no, let me know. The, yes, because I would love to. I would love to hear sort of what they've been hearing from the people. Whether the people have been like, "Wow, this shit's really good," or they're like, "Yeah, you know, that's good." Or if they come in the next time and say, "Hey, do you still have that Rebola on the list?" Or if they want to move on to something different. I'm really curious as to sort of the lasting impact on on consumers once they get their their lips on a glass of of freely and wine. Well, what I can tell you is that we try to sell, I want to say a lot of Schioppettino, but in terms of volume is not a lot, but I can see a small trend in Schioppettino uh, sales at the shop. And especially uh, given that me and my colleagues like it, uh, we do sell uh, Schioppettino to the customers that are ready to try either something new or uh, they're into the, the sommelier because, of course, also between our customers, there are a lot of sommelier and they're looking for niche varieties. And when people try Schiopettino, they usually come back for it. Okay. So yes. you, you're, you're looking more to appeal to kind of like these so-called wine adventurers, the ones that are looking yes. for something new. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. Okay. But so we were, you or, were, go ahead. I'm sorry. Or somebody who is looking for uh, good value for their, for their money. And this, we can put this among the opportunities for Friuli because the prices are being a niche. Prices are still uh, affordable for, uh, for everyone in this, a wine world dominated. This is, this is by, a, a great thing to hear because very often what I hear, at least when I used to work in the market and every once in a while I still hear is that Friulian wines are too expensive. And oh, I was no. like, no, 
That's not true. No, it's more true the other way around. Which is? Are too cheap too many times. They're too cheap. Exactly. So you, do you think yeah. that, that that is uh, maybe we're, we're undervaluing ourselves over here that we need to sort of believe a little bit more in what we're doing and, and, and charge a little bit more? Is that what you think? Oh, that's definitely, even if, as much as I wouldn't like to see prices uh, soar because I'm a buyer myself, <laughs> okay. but, uh, but yes, I think uh, not all of the wines, of course, but, uh, many of the wines, many of the, all the, all of the excellence, they, they are worth more and even more than price, I believe that, uh, but that's not just about Friuli, that's Italy in general. We drink the wines when they are, the, they are too young, especially oh, the wines. Okay. Okay. So this was, so we could put this sort of in the strengths category, right? We have value for money, right? Yes. And we have sort of cachet of kind of like a niche type of thing for wine adventurers. Right. And you say and ageability, ageability, ageability is a strength. So what are the weaknesses? Let's talk a little bit about the weaknesses of freely and wine. Uh, awareness. Awareness. Sure. Yes. So education, education, education. No, absolutely. Yeah. And education done in the easiest way possible, because not, as I was saying, not everybody wants to attend a wine course. Okay, so what would you recommend under education? How would you how would you approach that? Tastings, tastings, public tastings, yes, yes. or tastings just with sommeliers. Oh, every kind of, but uh, as playful as possible, in my opinion, as, because you. I have love to... that as playful as possible. Very interesting. What else do you think? What else could we improve on? What are some other weaknesses that we have? What I was uh, uh, saying at the beginning of this conversation, uh, there is too much richness, <laughs> which can uh, backfire. You know, uh, um, how many richness different... in terms of different different grape varieties and wines being offered? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. You put it beautifully. There are too many. Every winemaker I know in Friuli produces at least on the hills. He produces Ribolla Gialla. Friulano, Pinot Grigio, usually two or three versions of Pinot Grigio, a, a white wine, a Ramado one, sometimes a Reserva one. Then uh, there would be Pinot Bianco, a one or more different blends of them. Let's say the usual uh, blend with Ribolla Gialla, Friulano, and Malvasia. Oh, by the way, I was forgetting. So, uh, usually there would be a Malvasia uh, 100%. Then the, there might be a Sauvignon, Chardonnay, um, what else, what else? And then all the reds. So without taking, too far, uh, taking it too far, each time I see a wine portfolio of 15 different wines, sometimes 12 different varieties is like, seriously, because okay. yes, there's a lot of richness. This is very common in Italy. This is not just fuel. And. You know what I've heard from, uh, fortunately not during my tours, uh, what I've heard about Friuli, uh, from pe feedback from people who had been to Friuli on other uh, educationals, let's say educational trips, is like sometimes we've been, uh, 
they were talking about this problem of the richness and they were saying, sometimes we've been to a winery, we had tasted 10 wines who were absolutely dull and uh, unremarkable. And then when we were all done with our judgments, they came up with a, the 11th bottle, which was amazing. And, huh. and we were thinking, why the hell did you waste our time on those <laughs> wines? You should have served these immediately. Okay. And, and, and I, I will get to my point now. Every winemaker knows in, in, their, in their heart what are they good about. What kind of variety is their jewel in, in the crown? They should focus on that. Regardless See, of what it is, it doesn't necessarily need to be a native variety. Yeah. It could be Pinot Bianco. It could be Chardonnay. Could but be. if that's their jewel in the crown, that's what they got to yeah. do. And uh, uh, I got a bit of, uh, I'm closer to certain uh, winemakers for uh, life reason, let's say. Okay. And uh, let's say uh, uh, I was talking to one that produced, uh, was very successful with Pinot Grigio. And I told him, why don't you uh, uproot all the other, uh, almost all of the other varieties, you know, simplify, you know, let's, uh, people ask for your Pinot Grigio, you sell out every year. Why don't you plant more Pinot Grigio and you become strong on Pinot Grigio? And, and he will say, well, the market asks, my, my seller asks also for other varieties. And uh, if uh, I cannot let, let them down because they're scared of, of course, losing their uh, customers, yeah, yeah, exactly. Using their customers, yes. I think in the past but, there was that kind of that mentality where you could go in, whether it would be you or your sales agent, go into an account and say, "Hey, do you need a Pinot Grigio? I got a great Pinot Grigio." And they say, "No, we're compl we have our Pinot Grigio. We got our by the glass. We don't need a Pinot." Okay, well, how about Friulano? We have a Friulano. Ah, you know what? I just bought a Tokai, so I don't need a Friulano. Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, you know what? I do need a Sauvignon Blanc. So you constantly have an offer. Anytime anybody turns you down, nope, don't need that. I got this. I, I, nope, don't need that. I got, I got a Malvasia. Malvasia, can I taste it? Okay. So you always have something. So that's there's mentality to always have like a backup. Yes, you nailed it. Yes. The, being the provider of everything wine, you know, and I can see also a surge the production of sparkling wine, which is not new, not, not just about Friuli. Everybody's producing bubbles, even in places that are not supposed to produce sparkling wines okay. because of their, of their climate. I can see sparkling wines made in Puglia all over, all over Puglia. <laughs> the, the climate shouldn't allow, but yeah, they're harvesting know, at the end of July. <laughs> almost, uh, no, I never heard of July, but, but uh, beginning, beginning of, of August, August for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes, to retain a little bit of acidity, but they sell, you know, so everybody all over the world is producing uh, a sparkling, a Prosecco has led the way. And um, so getting back to Friuli, uh, I think winemaker at least slowly should take into consideration the possibility of reducing that portfolio and by focusing on the great varieties on which they are stronger, they're, they're strongest. Yeah, I think that's, that's really, really good advice. I think that's really good advice. It's something that I've been saying for a long time, you know, and, and I think there was a period when 
my attitude was sort of like, you have to sort of just pick a grape variety kind of like uh, Friulano or Rafalsco and just make those two kind of burgundy model, right? You got Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. But now I've changed That's my mind about that. I'm like, no, it should be whatever grape variety you do really well. It could be if you're in Isonzo, Chardonnay is king. Make great Chardonnay and just make great Chardonnay. Yes. If, you're, if your terroir in Colio makes amazing Friulano, just make Friulano. Let the Chardonnay and the Sauvignon Blanc go. Forget about that. Don't worry about Merlot. Or maybe if you need red wine, just make one Merlot. But like really sort of concentrate all your effort in becoming that great producer of that great wine. It has to be said that having uh, a variety of varieties um, uh, helps bring uh, bringing down the risks because maybe one variety is not thriving very well in one year. You can uh, make up with other varieties or, or trends or whatever. What's trendy? trends or maybe there is one variety which is uh, early budding you've had the spring frost and by having uh, other varieties who are late budding you, nothing has been compromised whereas you've lost so all of that particular variety which was uh, early budding there are reasons why in Friuli there are so many great varieties but we should simplify I'm saying this because when it comes to uh, richness, backfires when it, when it comes to market your wines. Okay. Uh, everything feels complicated for a customer. Uh, wait a second. So this is the place of Bolla Gialla, but Friula, also Friulano. Oh, you make Chardonnay. Oh, you make also Sauvignon. Oh, my God. What, what is this? No, it's a blend. Ah, okay. And that's another blend. And they come from the same appellation. So nothing helps the customer to understand what kind, what is in that bottle, what is Friuli about. Okay. So if you were, if you were to sort of, uh, going back to these playful public events where people taste wine, would you sort of concentrate just on certain types of wine or would you, do you feel like offering the whole sort of gamut of, of, of Friuli and wine is, is a little bit counterproductive? Uh, I always concentrate on certain varieties. Uh, in my in my tasting, uh, I rarely or almost never use blends. I use uh, single variety wines to talk about the variety, talk about the terroir, the territory. Interesting, interesting. Whereas there's, you know, there's quite a movement here to create these blends, which is part of the sort of the heritage of the territory. Um, it is. And it say, is. this is a Friulian white wine, and it's not a Friulano, it's not a Chardonnay, it's a Friulian white wine that's made with a bunch of different varieties. Sort of like nobody asks what's in Chateauneuf du Pape, right? Um, but everybody asks, what's <laughs> this white wine here, what's it made from? Yes, yes. And it's a good example because, you know, let's talk about Chateauneuf du Pape Red. It's probably the appellation in which uh, more varieties can go in, uh, up to 14 different grape varieties. And nobody asks. Uh, we all know it's going to be a blend of Grenache, Syrah, Morvedre, and uh, Saint Salt. But the point is, they've chosen one blend, one wine in which goes everything, whereas how many different blends you can, can you make 
within the usual uh, Friuli appellation. Yeah. Basically. You can, yeah, you can do anything, you know. Anything. Anything. So that, that's difficult when it comes to market those wines because people are confused. You must help the customer understand what's in that bottle because it's, they have the right to not, not to know. Right. So you think it's easier for people to look at a bottle with, uh, with a grape variety on the label and sort of get a better idea of what's inside. Well, that's what France is doing. France uh, has never done that. France has always been at the forefront of, let's say, if you don't know that uh, Gervais Chambertin is a Pinot Noir, it's not my fault. Uh, you're ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they don't worry about that kind of stuff. It's not my problem. They don't worry. So, but and that's a very, even, very sort of place-based marketing idea. Place -based. It comes from yeah. here. It doesn't matter what's inside. It comes from here. Here, yes. Can but we apply that to Friuli somehow? Uh, uh, it's too soon. That's the problem. Uh -huh. It's too soon because there is not uh, enough uh, reputation. Okay. We may, for sure, we may try. Uh, I think uh, what I'm trying to say is that we have to simplify. There are several ways to do it, but we have to simplify for the customer. Okay. So what are the several ways that we can simplify? Run those down for me. Mm -hmm. We could simplify by creating uh, um, the disciplinaries uh, regulation. The regulations uh, of the several appellations we have, uh, let's say, if we we could state that Coglio Bianco must be made with this variety and only these ones and this style, so that yes, you can change the percentage of each variety every year, depending on your availability. But that's the way a bottle of Collio or any other appellation that was just an example must taste like. Oh, okay. It's like, you know, Chateauneuf and restrict the possibilities of what you can do under that appellation. The, that's what uh, IGTs uh, are for, to give you more freedom. Also. Uh, at the moment, uh, I don't want to say anything wrong now, but uh, from my recollection, all the orange wines that are produced uh, in the Gorizia area, they usually don't fall under the uh, Collio appellation, for instance. That's a pity. Okay. 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 That's a pity. So because you, those are you very would, You would prefer to fold those in to Collio? Yes. Definitely. Okay. okay, okay. Because it's, it's a typicity. That's why, why we have appellations in Europe to preserve typicity. Okay. The other way we could simplify is what you were saying, dating the grape variety on the, um, on the label. Sometimes we already do that. Uh, and coming back to France, even France is doing that. Uh, they, they now can state the grape variety on the regional appellations, let's say Bourgogne Rouge. Now you can see some certain labels. Bourgogne, with Bourgogne Pinot Noir is on. Pinot Noir. Or Bourgogne Blanc Chardonnay. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And even in Bordeaux, uh, the white Bordeaux, which is a thing. <laughs> Everybody thinks red wine when it comes to Bordeaux, but 10% of the production is white and they produce also serious wines. Right. Because, well, 
to be honest, they know how to make wine. <laughs> uh, so even if it's white, um, in the uh, white Bordeaux appellation, you can write Sauvignon on the label. And Sauvignon uh-huh. is a variety that has traction at the moment, especially among the, um, at the lower end of the market, especially when it comes to supermarkets. Okay. That's why they've done it. That's why they've done it. Yeah. So this way, when you're making volume, you can sort of latch on to that little piece of information that might hook yeah. someone who, who doesn't maybe know what white Bordeaux is all about. Indeed. Even in French, you know, right. because they don't care. <laughs> At the lower end of the market, market is there because they want to buy a, a bottle of wine, which is reliable with unfaulty at less than uh, 10 euros and still enjoyable. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's the, the vast majority of the market, let's say more than 80%. So we never, we must never forget that, uh, that the, the world drinks that wine, those right. wines. And right, right. We, yeah, must we can't ignore that, that market, right? I mean, a niche as we may want to be, we also have to sort of understand that there are people who just want to sort of grab a nice bottle of white wine and not spend too much money and enjoy what they have in the glass. So you can't ignore that market. Oh, yes. And also as a, from the, um, the point of view of a producer, that's where you make the money. Of not course. With the, not with the high-end wines. Those are usually done uh, at very small margin, if not a loss, because the cost of production is so high sometimes that uh, I think piccoli, I'm sure that is a trade-off for every producer. Right, right, right. So yeah, so maybe sort of concentrating on kind of a, a cash cow wine at a, at a decent price, which you said we can do here in Friuli. And then, yes. you know, sort of using your um, halo wine as we, you know, to, <laughs> to apply sort of an automotive term to, to, to wine, uh, sort of your halo wine, your, your sort of exclusive wine, your top of the one to sort of yes. build a reputation for quality. Definitely. Working and especially the at the lower end, we, we must find ways to simplify, to let the customer understand what's in that bottle. Yeah. Okay. So. You know, sort of summing up, because we're, we're coming up to, to almost an hour here. So we, we're saying, you know, contact with people, education, informal tastings for the public are key to sort of getting more traction for Friuli and wines. Um, we're also talking about, you know, contact with sommeliers, so influencers. Are there any other influencers yes. that are important apart from sommeliers? Are there... Is there like a social media aspect of that that we could concentrate on? Or is, you know, sommeliers really still that powerful as far as influence is concerned? Well, uh, yes, uh, definitely. We cannot uh, unthink of the social media and not only the usual uh, Instagram and Facebook because the new generations, they, they use TikTok and uh, on TikTok, everything is playful and as easy as it gets. Sometimes silly, uh, I'm not gonna lie, but that's where, where they get all the information. Uh, yeah, the, the past few days I've been to the World Travel Market, uh, uh, which is the, one of the biggest trade shows uh, when it comes to travel in London, and they were saying that uh, the people aged 
between uh, 18 and 24 years old, uh, they get all the travel information from TikTok. Jesus, really? All, all. Forget websites, forget everything else. They, they follow uh, some sort of influencer and then uh, they wanted to replicate almost everything that they say. So, and they will usually get their information on the, on the play, in the place. So uh, as they're traveling, they will, uh, they will not even Google, they will look, uh, they will search on TikTok top five restaurants in my area and then follow the advice or uh, whatever kind of videos they come across. No kidding. Wow. That's amazing. No. Is that, is that a powerful segment of the market? Is that a segment that you think is becoming more interested in wine? Because that's been one of the big debates recently where I was like, young people don't care about wine. They'd rather drink like, you know, hard cider or, or, or seltzer or something like that. Do you think that they're sort of turning on to wine now a little bit? No, no, no. The problem is exactly what you were saying. Young people, they're not coming anymore to wine. Usually the wine industry historically has done nothing to entice people into wine. Uh, and of course it's alcohol. So we don't really want to, or can <laughs> attract people, uh, to alcohol. But let's say usually uh, the wine industry has sat <laughs> on a, on a chair waiting for people to turn 30 and move from cider, beer or cocktails into wine, uh -huh. but that switch. All the data suggests that that switch is happening less and less. Wow. And I think it just came, came out some sort of statistic a couple of days ago or yesterday that global wine production this year was, is like at an all time low as far as volume is concerned. Oh yes, but it has to be low. Uh, apart from vintage variation, consumption, consumption is declining all over the world. So. It's not that bad that the production uh, is greasing as well because everything, everywhere is full of wine. The distributors are full, the restaurants are full, uh, the producers have the, their wineries full of wine. We produce too much wine. We have to say that. So you think that maybe less is better, sort of going yes. less for volume and more for, for quality? Absolutely. Okay. There's too much wine, especially at the lower end of the market. It has become really hard to sell. Do you think that there's the, the consumers in a place like London look at things like Colio or Colio Orientali and they make a difference between that and say Grave, for example, or Aquileia? Is that something that people notice on a bottle of wine from Friuli or is, is the, the, the domination, the appellation not that important? Uh, no, the appellation is important. The problem is that basically all of the appellations you mentioned uh, are uh, completely unknown in, uh, in London. Uh -huh. We have to say that. So even the, uh, the, the, the think, amount of knowledge for Colio and Grave and Aquileia is exactly the same. Yes. Right. Let's say Colio could be 1% and the end rest is 0%, but we're pretty much there. Okay. So yeah, definitely. Of course, I'm making the numbers up from my right. point of view. I don't have any a, data. An but... idea of the proportion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot of uh, work to be done. A lot of work to be done. Wow. Okay.
I really mm-hmm. appreciate your time this morning. I know that you're an hour earlier than me. So, so you really got up early for me. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. And when are you going to be in for Uli next? When, uh, when are we going to have, be able to have a glass in of January. wine together? January. In January, I'm going to bring another uh, group of sommelier from London. Well, let me know when you're here. Maybe we'll sit down again in January and talk about something. I will, with a lot of pleasure. Thank you very much, Thank Wayne. Thank you very it much. It's been really fantastic. No, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. It's been very, very enlightening. Thank you very much, Angelo. Have a good day. Have a great day. Thanks very much.